Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Thank you, Beth. So, how many of you in your minds had somebody singing that song that you remembered? I knew it. Yeah, me too. I sing because I'm happy. Oh, what a song. You know, this morning I was, I was sitting over here and I was singing that first hymn. And uh, when, when Kevin said that, that it was older than all of us in here, or probably older than all of us, if that's you, you can confess because we need to honor you. That's, that's <laughs> Missed it by seven years. Um, it, 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 it gave me a, a sense of joy knowing that this morning... Uh, right here, we're singing a song that is older than us with piano and voices. And in just a few moments over here, we're going to sing a song. We're starting with How Great Thou Art at Story Point this morning. And we're going to sing it with guitars and drums and tambourines. And over here in Mission Casa, they're going to sing, I don't know what song they're singing because I don't know Spanish, but I know it'll be a Jesus Point and song. And it just, it just brings to mind how honored it must be to God to see more than one age, more than one nationality, more than one um, preference in one place. Now, we're not under the same roof, but we don't have a roof that will hold everybody. But that's okay, because we're singing to one God. We have one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And, and I just, I'm so, I'm so, in a good way, so proud of, of the church to, to know that, that God is just is worshipped in so many different expressions. So two weeks ago, um, something happened that I want to share with you. I had a chance to speak at BCM. Tony Oleski is a friend of mine, and he lets me come every, I don't know, every couple semesters or so. And he asked me to share whatever the Lord put on my heart. And I go, okay, good. And, and as soon as he asked me, I said, I know what I'm going to say. I said, you don't need to pray about it? I said, nope, I already know what the Lord's telling me to say. And what the Lord led me to say was, was to talk about how uh, you know, I was speaking to college students, so they were all in their early 20s, most, mostly anyways, uh, upper 18s, 19s, early 20s, and I said, you know, we need to recognize that, that at our age, and I said our age, really their age, there's a lot of zeal, there's a lot of passion, and they want to change the world, which is a good thing. I, I think that God gives us the gift of young people for the, 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 to remind us of that passion. I said, but we can't forget that what we have in zeal was built on a foundation that was paid for by sweat and by blood and by tears. And so I reminded them that we cannot throw out the old for the sake of the new, thinking that we're somehow God's gift to the world to save the world. No, God's been working His plan for 2,000 years. We're just one little part of it. And so I reminded them, don't let go of the new. Press on towards it. Hold on to it, but only hold on with one hand. Make sure your other hand is reaching back to what's already been done. And make sure you don't despise the things that have built your faith and you don't even know it. And it was just a reminder that none of us have a brand new faith. All of us have a faith that was built on somebody else's faithfulness. True? Your faith was built on somebody else's faithfulness. When you were a young, a young guy or a young girl... There was somebody else who paid a price so that you could be worshiping in that church that you were worshiping in. Or so that you could hear the preacher that, that preached a sermon that helped you come to faith in Christ. 
Somebody, somebody worked through doctrine so that you could have a sound doctrine. And we sometimes don't realize that, that the old and the new are not enemies. They're actually, they're actually in the same family. And so we shouldn't fight against that. Um, the best part of the night, though, was this. So I went, into, uh, I went around to use the restroom before we started. Actually, they had already started. I slipped out. And then I noticed that there was this closet and so, being the curious person I am, I peeked into the closet, and it was their prayer closet. I'm just very curious, <laughs> because it had a dim, I mean, it had an open door. It was a prayer closet, and there was a big chalkboard on one side of the wall. And I read the words on the wall, and I took a picture, and I sent it to Sarah and to Mason and a couple other people. Here's what the words were on the chalkboard. Mark is saved. Here's why that was important. Mark was one of our teenagers for about two years. He started coming with some folks from the church from Gulf Breeze High School. He showed up one day because one of our kids invited him. And for two years, he may, he may have spoken three words. Very quiet person, but, but never trusted Christ. And we, were, we, were, we, tr- we, we shared the gospel. We, we've done everything we could do. He, he just it had not trusted Christ. Well, it turns out the week before at BCM, Mark finally stepped over the line of faith and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, who gets the credit for that? God does. And that's all that matters. He knows Christ. But you had a part in Mark coming to know Jesus. You did. Because you have paved the way for him to hear the gospel. And at the appointed time, at the right time... Mark said, I want to trust. So he was asked, well, why did you wait so long? You know what his answer was? I didn't feel like I knew enough. That was it. He wanted to believe. He just didn't think he knew enough. Well, he still doesn't know enough, but he knows enough. Amen? All right. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. So this morning's message is from uh, E.V. Hill. He... uh, I'm sure most of you probably have heard of E.V. Hill. He is a, he's deceased now. He was born in 1933. He died in 2003, so he died relatively young. What's that, just shy of 70 years, um, based on when his birthday was. Born in Texas. Man, a lot of these guys are born in Texas. Texas puts out some good preachers. Uh, he pastored a couple churches in Texas, and then in 1963, yeah, hook them horns. I saw that, Jody. In 1963, he moved to Los Angeles to to pastor the Greater Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. And he pastored there from 1963 until his death in 2003. So that's right at, what, 40 years? Did I do the math right? So for 40 years, faithfully pastoring this church, he was invited uh, on multiple occasions to the national stage. He preached at Promise Keepers a handful of times. He's uh, been been, been in conversations and in engagements with presidents um, very notable, and what's really great about his story is that he was born into a very poor family, and he, uh, he scratched his way through school, and his pedigree at the end of his life was that he had at least one doctorate, earned doctorate if not more, and, uh, and, and worldwide influence. Let me tell you, if God gets a hold of you, you better not set where he's going to take you, because he's going to take you somewhere where you can't even imagine. But it's not for our sake. The reason Evie Hill had influence with kings and queens and presidents and, 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 uh, and 
and people in high places was because he stood firmly on the Word of God. He stood firmly on the Word of God. He did not waver one bit. And this message, I think, is probably one that will demonstrate that. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus. Now, I was going to try to preach like him, but he's very deliberate and very slow. And so I'm probably not going to do a good job of that because he didn't have 30 minutes. By the way, this was an hour and four minutes, this message. I won't do that to you, but just so you'll know. You're getting the cliff notes. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So the title of today's message is this, what to say to the devil when he talks to you. The devil talks to you, doesn't he? I'll be the first to tell you he talks to me. How do you know? <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> By the way, in the spirit of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, I do expect you to talk back. It'll go better for all of us if you do. If the devil doesn't talk to you, then you are a unique person. You are a unique person, very strange, or you're worthless. You're worthless to him. If the devil doesn't see fit to talk to you, then you have no, you are no threat to him. You are of no danger to him. The devil talks to us, and he knows just what to say, and he knows just when to say it. He knows the right time. He knows the right place, he knows the right tone, he knows the right words, and he knows the right weaknesses. Does he not? The devil is a liar. He is cunning, he is shifty, he is shady, he is sneaky. There's no surprise that in the scripture he's a snake, right? And so when the devil comes to talk to you, we need to understand that we need to know what to say. And there are a lot of people who are listening to what the devil has to say. Here's how you know it's the devil and it's not God. If you hear something that is not in the book, it's not God. That's it. If it's not in the book. Now, I'm not necessarily talking verbatim, word for word. But if you hear something that is contrary to what is in the book, you can put it aside that it is not God. God doesn't have anything new to say that he hadn't already said. 
He doesn't have, have a, a new revelation that's different from what he's already revealed. That would, give, that would make him a schizophrenic God. That would also cause you and me to question what he's already said. I like the way Evie Hill puts it. He said in his, uh, at the time, I guess 30-something years of pastoring Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, he said they hadn't had, but 30, they hadn't had 33 minutes of, of, of controversy. And here's the reason why. He said when he went there, he made a rule of how the church was going to be governed. He said, if you want the floor, if you start with, if you start with, um, I just think. He said, I don't mean to be rude and I don't mean to, to be arrogant, but please sit down. He said, if you, if you stand up and say, well, you know, I'm not sure where it says this, but... He said, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be, be harsh, but please sit down. He said at his church, the rule was, if you wanted to have the floor, you had to start with a chapter and a verse. He said that solved every problem. Because with a chapter and a verse, you had authority. And he had to read it straight, too. You couldn't, you couldn't take a chapter and verse out of context. He said, you had to tell us, this is what... God has said in his word. Now, I'm not sure how much preacher license, you know, liberty was taken in that, but it really makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Think of how many church problems would be solved if we started with a book, a chapter, and a verse. Amen? Because, because the church can't be run on opinion, and the church can't be run on how we feel. Because I feel one way today, and I might feel another way tomorrow. And if I'm feeling one way today and you follow with what I say today, what if I change my mind tomorrow? Are you going to follow what I say tomorrow? Everything from preacher to nursery has got to be built on what has God said. Folks, I'm convinced that in our life we can, we can keep ourselves from a lot of trouble if we will simply go back to the book. What does God say? And so here's the thing. It doesn't matter how holy you are. It doesn't matter what you think you hear God say. If it doesn't match up to the Scripture, somebody's got it wrong. And it's not the Scripture. Now, I know, I know, I know, in this world that sounds awful harsh. That sounds awful narrow. I'm okay. But I'm not willing, as he said, I'm not willing to be pushed any further than the book. And you want to know why? Because I don't trust myself. I don't trust my own heart to get it right. Because I know that, that I'm human and I know that I can think things sometimes that are out of line and I can think things that are sometimes out of bounds. So to me, God in His grace has said, look, I'm going to give you the boundaries and I'm going to give you the skeleton. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the, the rough estimate. Now, you can fill in some of the blanks with what I've given you, but don't go outside of the book. Amen? That's the way that we should live our life. Now, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The first word there is what? It's then. He's saying, look, this is after something. The then refers to Matthew chapter 3. It's the glorious baptism of Jesus. Do you remember the story? We don't have a whole lot of time to read it, to read it but what happened was this. Jesus... Was in the day, was, 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 uh, came up to John the Baptist and told John the Baptist, I want you to baptize me. 
And John said, I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus said, well, you're right. Why? Because you're, you're giving a baptism of repentance. Baptism being a, a, a representation of something that's gone on in the heart. So Jesus had nothing to repent of, so why would he need to be baptized? Jesus was baptized as a testimony. He was baptized as a demonstration of faithfulness and obedience. He said, look, I'm going to be baptized because I want to show you how to live. And I want to validate, or actually God wants to validate, my ministry. This is the first time in Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all in the same place at the same time, and we knew about it. Talk about glorious, right? So you had Jesus say to John, John, I need you to baptize me. And John said, okay. So they walked out into the water. And as John is about to baptize, you have Jesus, the Son, and then you have the Holy Spirit come down onto his shoulder in the form of a dove, right? And then if God didn't have enough glory there already, he parted the heavens and he said what? He said, this is my son. This is my beloved son. This is my only son. This is my one son. Now, a lot of things in the world would have been solved if we'd have just read chapter 3. There would be no Jim Jones. There'd have been no slaughter in Waco. There'd have been no, uh, uh, no, none that came before, none that came after that we'd have to question, are they really the Son of God? No, because Jesus clearly demonstrated, because God said, this is my beloved Son. God cleared it all up. And so in that moment, you had the voice of God, you had the Holy Spirit, and you had Jesus all in one glorious picture. And Jesus was baptized, brought up out of the water, And man, I tell you, if they had dancing and shouting, it probably would have been right about that time. So when the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, then, it's saying this glorious moment, this incredible moment of of glory for Jesus was, was, was just completed, and then the Spirit led. So it wasn't the devil. It was the Spirit of God led Jesus. But where did he lead him? The Bible says they led him to the wilderness. Well, the wilderness was the desert. Now, think about it. If you just had this most glorious moment, if you were just revealed as the Son of God, where would you go next? The Hilton? The W? The Hyatt? Maybe you'd get real fancy and go to to a palace somewhere. Maybe march through the streets and let the glory just fade away into people. No. The next place that he went was the wilderness. Now, it wasn't some wilderness that you're thinking about, like down in Peru where there's mountain streams and there's jungles and birds chirping and things like that. No, I've been there. The Mount of Temptation is a desolate, dry, dirty, rocky place. The average temperature is well into the hundreds. It gets into the 120s and 140s even. So Jesus didn't go to a palace. He went to a desert and he was led there by the Spirit. We've got to be careful. Because like I said, the devil knows the right time. The greatest opportunity for you and me to fall is when we've just had a glory-filled experience. After we've encountered the living God, after he's done something marvelous through us, that is when the crafty serpent knows that we are often at our weakest. Amen? That is when we are so quick to fall. Preachers fall oftentimes after mountaintop experiences. Politicians fall 
after mountaintop experiences, father's fall, mother's fall, after when things are going great. Look at David, right, in the Old Testament. Everything was going good in his kingdom. He sent his men off to war. He was walking around on the roof, and he goes, ooh, la, la, right? He wasn't expecting that. Listen, the devil is smarter than you. He's smarter than you. He's stronger than you. If you think that you're going to go up against him and go one-on-one, mano-a-mano, you're crazy. And I'm crazy. That's why Ephesians chapter 6 says we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The battle is not an earthly battle. The devil is stronger and smarter than you and me. And so... He was led to the wilderness by the Spirit, and for 40 days and for 40 nights, he fasted. Now, let me tell you something. I fasted for three hours, and I got hungry. Right? I can walk around the block and then drink a gallon of water because I'm thirsty. And it's, and it's not even the desert. So Jesus, for 40 days and for 40 nights, was in this desolate isolated place, fasting, no drink, no food, and, and, and his tongue would have been swollen. His mouth would have been like cotton. He would have had cuts and bruises on his face because you don't walk through that place without falling down and without, without scraping yourself. Just, just two days ago, I was climbing a tree, and I, and I reached around, and I scraped the back of my hand, and I thought, my goodness, so easy to do that. Imagine being in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, And the devil, knowing just at the right time, he came to him. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, if he challenged his very being, he said, If you are the Son of God, he questioned him. It's exactly what the enemy does to us. He says, if you are a good father, if you are a good mother, if you were a Christian, if you love God, there's no surprise that the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That if gets a lot of us in trouble, doesn't he? He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, Turn these stones into bread. Now, we know that Jesus could have instantly gone, (laughs) duh, you want white bread? You want pumpernickel? You want rye? You want wheat? Tell me what, sourdough? I can make whatever. I can make one. I can make 5,000. You tell me how much you want. Don't you know who I am? But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't respond, and he, he didn't even acknowledge the question. Listen, too many times when the devil comes against us, we want to have an argument with him. We want to converse with him. We want to, we want to reason with him. Don't, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? We want to reason with him. We want to, we want to just kind of challenge, challenge him a little bit. You have no strength to challenge the devil. You cannot have a conversation with him because he does not fight fair. You can't think that you're going to outsmart him or outwit him. And you can't think that you're going to, you're going to outmaneuver him. You cannot outrun the devil. You can't. You can run as fast as you want, but he's faster. Notice that Jesus did not give any thought to 
the if. Jesus did not give him a conversation. Jesus did not even acknowledge the if. Jesus responded the way you and I are to respond. And here's the thing. If we respond like God responds, the devil will flee. Imagine that. Instead of you running from the devil, the devil is running from you. Now, i got to tell you, when E.V. Hill said it, there was a whole lot more excitement about that in the room. (laughs) But think about it. Instead of you running from the devil with him hot on your heels, he has to run from you. Now, how did Jesus do this? He didn't do what he could have done. He could have called down 10,000 angels, but he didn't need 10,000 angels. He only needed one. The Bible says at the end of days that only one angel will cast him into hell. He only needed one. He could have said, uh, Lord, Father, would you take care of this? He could have done what, what I think I would have done personally if I were Jesus. I would have just opened my coat and shown him my glory. Wouldn't that have been... I mean, think about it. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the, the, the troops were there to arrest him, what did he do? They said, we're looking for Jesus. He goes, I am he. And they fell down onto the ground. His glory was made manifest right there in front of them. You remember the Mount Transfiguration when he was there with, with the other two, uh, 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 Elijah and, um, help me now, Moses, right? right okay. And so, so the three of them were there, and, and the disciples, when they saw that, they were just overwhelmed at his glory because the glory of the Lord shone so brightly and so incredible. It was like this, the Bible describes it as this, this glowing tr- uh, uh, light, right? He, he could have just said to the devil, hey, devil. And it would have been this, right? I mean, he could have done that. He really could have. After all, he was just coming up from the water. And as he came up from the water, the glory of the Lord was there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But he didn't do that. Why? Here's why. Because you and I, the next time the devil comes to talk to us, we'd be going, hey, devil. And you know what he would do? He would laugh at us. He'd go, pfft. I use you as a toothpick, boy. He, he knew we didn't have glory to show. So how could we show our glory? So he didn't show his. He knew we couldn't command the angels. So why would he do that? You know what Jesus did? And Jesus didn't even speak on his own authority. He could have said, devil, get out of here. And the devil would have run. Why? Because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The demons fled when he spoke to them, didn't they? Why did Jesus not do this? Because Jesus was saying to you and to me, the devil's going to talk to us. And when he does, we've got to know what we can and need to say back. And here's what we say. Devil, it is written. Say it with me. It is written. The next time the devil comes to you and says, if... You are a Christian. Don't have a conversation. Simply say a word. Devil, it is written. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When the devil comes against you and says, you don't have enough. Devil, it is written. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches. When the devil comes to you and says, You are condemned. Look what you did. You say, devil, it is 
written, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And every time he comes to you, you got to hit him with the word of God. You have no power except that the word of God has all the power. And the devil doesn't just run. He runs fast. But now, don't be mistaken. He's coming back. But that's all right. Because you have got an entire book of it is written. Evie Hill tells the story about how, the, how cunning and crafty the enemy is and how he comes at just the right time and at just the right moment. He said he was in the hospital room with his wife. He was married twice. His first wife uh, was named Baby. That's, I don't know if that's her real name or that's what he called her. I suppose that's what he called her. Loved her dearly. Married for many years. His wife was in the hospital bed. And the devil came in and said, uh, Evie, I thought you were a healer. I mean, you said you were a healer. No, I haven't. He said, oh, yeah, you have. You remember that time where the woman with cancer came into your office and she had no hope and she had no, no joy and, and, and she asked you to pray for her and you prayed for her and she went to the doctor and the doctor said, you are healed. There is no cancer. And she lived for years after. Yeah, I remember that. He said, uh, what about your wife? She's young. She's in her 50s. Why don't you lay your hands on her and heal her? If you're a healer. So I never claimed that. But then he said, I, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, he is kind of right. I did pray for a person and they were healed. What, will you touch her? Will you save my wife? He said he laid his hands on her, but his hands on her only led to her dying. He said he got upset with the Lord and said, Lord, I don't understand. And I'm, I'm a little bit upset and confused. He said, why did you take my wife? And he struggled and wrestled with this question until the Lord said, Now, Evie, let me tell you something. I called her home. What's wrong with calling her home? Yeah, but she was so young. I called her home early. What's wrong with early? He said it changed everything that he ever thought about death. He said, what's wrong, that God said, what's wrong with calling her home early? What's wrong with no more pain early? What's wrong with no more suffering early? What's wrong with no more tears early? What's wrong with having a perfect body, a heavenly body early? What's wrong with coming to my house early? What's wrong with early? And Evie said, you know what? <laughs> you got me. Early's not a problem. Early's not a problem at all. Folks, I want to tell you that the devil likes to play tricks with us in our weakest, most vulnerable, most personal moments. And it's in those moments that we have to remember the promises of God and we've got to speak to the devil only these words. Devil, it is written. Now get out of here. You say, well, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because the devil can't handle the truth of God's word. And if you'll notice, there were three times here recorded that Jesus was tempted. And every single time, Jesus' response was exactly the same. It is written. 
Now, my question to you is this. How do you talk back to the devil if you don't know what is written? How do you answer him if you don't have what God has already written? The reason we don't mess around with, with what I think God says is because I think God says doesn't work too good in a conversation with the devil. Well, devil, I think that God says has no power. But it is written, has all the power and all of the authority of the foundations of the earth as made by God, the eternal God. So my question to you simply is this. Are you fighting with the devil? You know, it's funny. We don't talk about this anymore, do we? I mean, some of these terms are like, like archaic terms. We don't talk about the devil. We don't talk about Satan. We don't talk about, you know, this, this idea of, of being tempted. No, we, we, we like to think that we got it all figured out. We're all debonair and, you know, we're all... all... Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, that was the text I used at BCM is Ecclesiastes 1.9. There's nothing new under the heavens. What has been will be again, and what is has been done before. There's nothing new. By the way, the devil has no new tricks. None. The way that you defeat the devil is with what God has already said. And it works every time. I like the way the scripture puts it. We don't rejoice because we have power over the devil. We, have, we rejoice because our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We don't rejoice because we have power over the devil, because we don't. The Word of God does. So we're not looking at Him. We're looking at Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And He will keep us to the very end. So i got to tell you, what's wrong with early? You know, it's, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to get our minds around that. But I've, I've really started thinking about this a lot lately, that God is, God is so faithful. And if, and if he wants to call someone home early, why in the world would I ever be upset about that? doesn't mean I don't love any less. It just means that, that hopefully our perspective gets a little broader. It doesn't, doesn't change the pain, but hopefully it gives us hope. God is good. Let's pray together. Father... I pray that you would drive home into our hearts the power of your word. Father, I pray that you would remind us that it's not with flesh and blood that we fight against the devil. God, remind us that you are a God who's already fought and won. Father, you've laid a way for us to live. Remind us, Father, in Jesus' name, who you are. listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.